seat. Welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and today is our eighth birthday. Come on, somebody. Eight years ago, we had lunch Sunday at the Gathering Church in February of 2016, y'all. Was something else. We, I remember. I don't remember much, honestly, from from that day. I was so stressed out. I could barely. What I do remember is that we had this loading ramp back then, and uh, we were at Rainbow Community School over in West Asheville. They have an old Church of God that they use as their auditorium that we used to rent out, and we would bring our equipment in through the back, and we ordered a ramp that was about half the size of the ramp that we needed, and so it would be at an angle like this on that back door, and our setup team would just be like three guys pushing each other up this ramp, and we launched in February, y'all, so there was ice, and there was snow, and it was, it was something else, man, and here we are, eight years later, we got the right-sized ramp now, come on, somebody, in Jesus' name. And, uh, and God has done so much for us to celebrate. We have so much to celebrate as a church. And so uh, today I, I want to celebrate and share and talk about where we've been and where we're going. And one thing real quick before I get there, I just want to let you know that next Sunday we start uh, a, a series called Binge the Bible Season 2. Binge the Bible Season 2. And for the next eight weeks, what we're going to do is each Sunday we'll come in here and we're going to take a look at one book of the Bible at a time. Uh, so next Sunday is gonna, we're going to pick up where Season 1 left off. We're going to pick up with 2 Samuel and talk about the heart of this Bible, this book of the Bible, and, and move on through the story of Scripture that way. And our goal is to get a higher view of what the Scriptures are teaching us, the 30,000-foot view of what is the Bible's story and how, how does God want us to learn from it and apply it today. And so uh, come on next week. Bring a journal. Bring a paper Bible if you have one. I'll tell you where to highlight and what to do and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, we're going to have a great, uh, a great series for our spring here as we get into Binge the Bible Season 2 next week. Well, let me pray for us and, uh, and let's get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, God, that you have been faithful, Lord. And that everything that you have done before, you can do again, God. And that you are good to your word, and you are good to your promises. You have never backed down on a promise, and we believe that you are not done yet. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I can't believe it has been eight years at the Gathering Church. Eight years. What I want to do is open by looking at one of my favorite Bible stories today. I want to look at Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to begin in Joshua chapter 1. But in Joshua chapter 3, we see a turning point for the people of Israel. The Israelite people have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Here's something that's interesting. In Joshua chapter 1, it refers to these people as the Israelite people. This is before they would take what would become the land and the nation of Israel, before they would take the promised land, because before God will give you a possession, He's going to give you an identity. Before He's going to give you a position, He's going to give you an identity. These people needed to know who they were in the kingdom of God before they were going to take into possession a position in the kingdom of God. We've got to understand exactly exactly who we are before we can possess the promises that he has for us. 
the Israelite people have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And God did mighty miracles uh, delivering them from Egypt. You can see it in my favorite movie of all time, which is the Prince of Egypt. You go watch the Prince of Egypt, not only will you receive the greatest musical score in the history of musical scores, but you'll see these mighty miracles that God does in delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. Fire falls from the sky. A river turns into blood. There's frogs everywhere. And at the end of this season of plagues, as God is changing Pharaoh's mind and heart to release his people, the angel of the Lord, the angel of death, comes from heaven and goes out among the people of Egypt and takes the firstborn sons of that land, and it moves Pharaoh to release these people. And so, in a hurry, the people gather their things, and they get everything together, and they march out, and this mighty sea of people leaves the nation of Israel. But we talk about this promise that appears in Exodus chapter 6, where God makes four promises to the people of Israel. And the first one is, I will bring you out of Egypt, which is what what he does as they march out of the nation of Egypt. The second one is, I will free you from being slaves to them. Because what happens is, they get out of the nation of Israel, but they've still got, they get out of the nation of Egypt, but they've still got Egypt inside of them. They've still got this slavery mindset. They get to the Red Sea, and they're on the banks of this vast sea, this mighty sea, and there's no way for them all to cross it. And as they turn around, they see the armies of Egypt pursuing them. Pharaoh has changed his his mind and he's bearing down on them and there's this ferocious battle awaiting for them but these aren't soldiers they were slaves they don't have the ability to fight back and so the people say to Moses Moses why'd you bring us out here just to die we're, we're all going to die here on the banks of this sea but whatever God has promised he is faithful to deliver and so God says Moses I want you to take your staff in your hand and walk out into the water and put it in the water Moses is obedient to what God is calling him to do, and he goes out into the water, and he puts his staff down in the sea, parts, and this incredible miracle happens, and the people of God cross on dry land into the other side, and they go into the wilderness, and as they get all of them to the other side, God brings the sea down on this army that was pursuing them, and he brings them into freedom. They go out, and they have these beautiful moments with God out in the desert. He provides for them. He provides manna. They're eating bread from heaven. He gives them his word, his law, his testimony. He forms them into a people, and then he brings them all the way to this Jordan River. And the Jordan River is the barrier. It is the border to the promise that God made to them. He promised their ancestor hundreds of years ago, a man named Abraham, he promised him a specific territory of land. And said, I'm going to bring, this is going to be the land where your people will dwell. And God brings these people up to this river that is the border for this land. And tells them that it's theirs for the taking, but they're not so sure. So they send 12 spies across the river and they go into the land. And two of them come back and say that this land is ours for the taking. God has provided for us. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and it's beautiful and it's perfect and it's just what God wants for us. But then the other ten come back and say, yeah, there's good stuff there to be sure. But the people there are like giants and we do not stand a chance. We'd be like grasshoppers to them. They'll squash us. And so the people of Israel come up to the border, this place where God has a promise for them, and they turn around. 
and head back into the wilderness. Because here's what, what we discover. We discover that Egypt was not out of their hearts yet. We discover that there were still chains wrapped around them, bonds to be broken, preparation to be done. The warrior that God would use to bring them into the promised land wasn't prepared to lead yet. And so God turns them around and brings them back into the wilderness. And for four decades, they wander around in the wilderness as God prepares them, as he takes away what needs to be taken away, gives what needs to be given, and makes this people ready to enter into the land that he had promised for them. Now, so many miracles were behind them. So many incredible moves of God. The history of the people of God is fantastic all throughout the book of Genesis and and the book of Exodus. We can read about the miracles that were behind them, but the promise was still in front of them. They had a promise lying ahead of them that they had not yet taken. Finally, after 40 years, God says, your heart is now ready. And so they come back around, and they get up to the Jordan River yet again. And this is as far as Moses goes. Moses is 140 years old, don't you know? And he had been walking for a long time. This man was tired. God calls him home. There's a great story alongside that and a long story there, and I encourage you to go and read it. But now it's Joshua's turn to take over and to lead the people of Israel. And so Joshua, chapter 1 opens the story. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's like Charles Dickens. Marley is dead to begin with. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, so be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Don't you know he was pumped up after that speech? Sometimes we read into these Old Testament speeches and just imagine that God is speaking directly to us. Here's what we got to remember. This was God's promise to Joshua. His, this was the blessing he was placing. This, is a, this language is a specific Hebrew blessing that he's placing onto Joshua, his servant, his leader. It's for him. But you also need to know this. Whatever God has promised before, he can promise again. And whatever he's done before, he can do again. And whoever he was then, he is today. And so Joshua gets this incredible promise. And, and then he walks through the camp as the people sit on the other side of the mighty Jordan River at flood stage. And it says, Joshua told the people in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you consecrate yourselves. That's a word which means to set yourself apart for worship, to set yourself apart for sacrifice. We would see this word talking about a lamb that would be consecrated for sacrifice, talking about a priest who would set his life apart for sacrifice. Joshua says to all the people of, your, of, of Hebrews, consecrate yourselves for your God. For he's about to use you in a mighty way. 
Here's what happens next. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. That's the presence of God. The presence of God always goes first. If we don't lead with the presence of God, we'll find ourselves in tall water. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. That means that it's way outside of its banks. This is a huge river for them to cross. And yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zareth. And don't you know the people of that town were confused that day. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. In this incredible, amazing, visible miracle, God parts the seas again. Because whatever he's done before, he can do again. Whatever he has done before, he can do again. And these people enter to the other side uh, and into the promise that God had made their ancestors and carried on to them. This is the story of how the people of Israel entered into the promised land. But what waited for them once they got into the promised land wasn't just milk and honey. In fact, we find as we study this story more and more that as soon as they had gone through this incredible moment, this ceremony of renewal with God, they stopped just shy of the most fortified wall, difficult to take city in all the land of Canaan, and found that a battle awaited them. I want to tell you a story. In fact, I want to tell you this story. The story of how we came to be at the Gathering Church begins a very long time ago in Somerville, South Carolina with a little blonde-headed boy just full of dreams and ambition. No, that's not true. I was about as uh, low on the scale of ambition as you can find. I grew up in a little Southern Baptist church, and I knew a lot more about what the hallway outside my Sunday school class looked like than I did about the inside of it. I briefly remember some flannel graphs, but that's about it. I, I grew up in, in this Bible Belt world. This was 1990s Christianity. Nate Bargatze, the the comedian says that 1990s Christians were the most Christian. Jesus was having more fun than we were back in those days. And that was the world that I was raised in. I remember I just never really quite fit in. I was always getting in trouble. I was always getting fussed at. I was always sitting outside. I didn't fit in and I wasn't really sure that I wanted to because these people could be pretty mean sometimes. As I grew up, I, I was bullied worse than I was anywhere else in the youth group. I wasn't sure that Christianity or church were really a club that I wanted anything to be a part of. At 19 years old, I walked away from it altogether. I joined the Coast Guard so that I could go and see the world. Well, at least the coastal world. And that was a journey. Like many of you, I searched for meaning, for purpose, for joy, for satisfaction. I looked in all the wrong places. I'll give you more of that story if you join me next Sunday, right after second service in step one at 11.45 in the media center. After a difficult personal and spiritual journey, I entered into a fresh relationship with Jesus because somebody decided to boldly share the gospel with me. 
and I decided I wanted to be a part of a church, or better yet, I felt like I needed to be a part of the church, that no matter how much I studied scripture and believed what I believed in, it wasn't enough. I needed more. I needed a community. I needed somebody to invest in me. I needed freedom. I needed somebody to help me find it. I needed somebody to teach me how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be a man of God. And so I found that in the church, in the local church. And there in the church, my life changed and changed forever. In the course of my first year, plugged into a local church, the power of God worked through the people of God in that context to bring life to my bones, to build a foundation for my faith to grow on for the rest of my life. So when I was 23 years old, I felt like God was calling me to give my life to the local church, to a life-giving church, to a church for people like me, and specifically to go and start one. So fast forward to the year 2013, my wife Raelle and I are apprenticing and serving as student directors at Echo Church in San Jose, California. We felt God telling us that it was time to go and start a life-giving church for people like us. We began to wonder where that would be. We were serving on the West Coast and we looked around in the West Coast and I felt in my heart as I prayed more and more about it that God was calling me back to the southeast. And I said, Lord, I don't know if those Bible Belt people want anything to do with me. They made that pretty clear the first time. And I felt that God was saying, but John Mark, there's a place full of people just like you. So we began to search and we found this city called Asheville and the areas around it. In that time, 2015, we found a study that showed that in the two, two decades before, the, church, the city had gone from 76% of the people attending a church to 54% of the people attending a church. A steep decline. In fact, the fastest decline in de-churching in any city in North America at the time. And we thought, well, that sounds like a great place for a church. <laughs> These people really need one. They don't want one, but they certainly need one. And so we begin to visit and recruit people to join us. So Winton, uh, I, I just know me, and I know that there's no way I could do this alone, that I'm not wired that way, I'm not built that way. If I can be honest, I'm not that smart. And so I went and found some people that could supplement the gifts that I have. I found a pastor named Robbie Denson to come on board and help me uh, with everything that, that was it took to start up the church, the operational side of things. Uh, and then we went and found, I needed somebody who was creative and understood creative ministries and who also knew how to log on to a website, and that was Robert Knight. And Robert Knight came along, and April, his wife, and, and Chelsea, Robbie's wife, and the six of us came together and began to dream about a city uh, that was changed by the local church. We began to dream about what it would look like if a city that was known for dark spirituality became known for light spirituality in the name of Jesus. We began to wonder if this city that was on the edge of moving into a post-church world, what would happen to the world around us if this city started to move back into the kingdom of heaven? And we put a plan together, and we joined an organization called the Association of Related Churches, the ARC, and we found a tribe and a family there, and we raised money, and we built a plan and recruited more people. I went around to 30 different churches and asked them to partner with us financially to start this church, and I sat down, and 27 of them looked at me and said, this will never work. It'll never work. 
These people don't want a church. Look at the, these statistics don't impress us. They tell us you're going to a church graveyard. Why would you go start a church in a church graveyard? To which my 27-year-old and filled with wisdom and brilliant self, full of naivety and faith, said a church graveyard is a perfect place to go and serve a God who specializes in resurrections. There is nothing dead that my God can't bring back to life again. And so I believe this is the very perfect place for us to bring a life-giving church and serve a resurrected Savior. And so 19 people and 18 kids moved with us to the city of Asheville. Some of you are still here today. And uh, we built a team, had about 40 people come around, adults and about 1,000 kids, it felt like at least. And we launched this church out in 2016 in February, and God has been moving ever since. In 2015, we moved here in the summer of 2015, and we moved to Asheville before we had any idea, really, what we're doing. (laughs) But we believed that God knew what he was doing. When we moved here, Asheville was a city that had snipped its way out of the Bible Belt. At the time, it was this de-churched city that was just growing and increasing. People were moving here with that in mind, looking to get away from the hurts that they carried. And while they ran from God to this city, they starved for connection and they starved for the spiritual. We see spiritualism in every corner of our city with a reputation for being a place where you can explore your spirituality. But that kind of exploration leads to a longing for more and an emptiness inside. Something we've seen to be true time and time and time again. When we first were getting ready to move here, we thought this was a city that did community already very well. There was a festival every weekend, it seemed like, in the summer. There was a party going on literally at all times somewhere around town. There was a vibrant brewery and coffee culture here. And and at first glance, people seemed like they were doing life together. But what we discovered when we moved here and began to get to know our neighbors was an epidemic of loneliness. Being in a crowd is not the same thing as connecting in a community. So we started this church. We didn't start this church because we thought Asheville needed another church. We started it because we believe Asheville needed this church. I believe Asheville needs a place where we can know God the first Sunday that we show up, no matter who we are. At the gathering, we see a church where you feel wanted before you ever get out of your car. Where there is no question in your mind that you can be at home here. That you can belong before you believe that what's happening in these places is about more than Sunday. We see a church where you can learn from the people you interact with and from the teaching on the stage that God desires a relationship with you exactly as you are today. And then we need a church where we can really find freedom. Freedom from our hurts, from our baggage, from sin and habits and addictions. And to get freedom like that, we've got to have real, life-changing community. Not just friends and acquaintances, not church friends, the kind of people that you smile at when you're in church and you hide from when you're in Ingalls. I mean real community. In our first year as a church, something remarkable happened. It was like 
every conversation I was having with somebody coming to me with their deepest, darkest sins and wanting to get free of it. I remember thinking, I'm a terrible pastor. This is horrible. This thing is not working. Everybody here is just riddled with sin. Where's the holy people at? And I discovered that that is what it is to be the people of God, to be the church. That when we create a space where people can really be vulnerable and honest, over time people actually get vulnerable and honest. They stop walking around carrying their weights and they start to show their weights to the people that can help them carry them. And so we saw people break lifelong chains and find real freedom all in the context of genuine community. Here in our small groups, Ever since before we started, they have been a place for us to make life-giving, life-changing relationships. I believe we need a church where we can discover our purpose. That you have a purpose and it's more than just power and position and possessions. Your purpose is about glorifying God and serving people. Our city needs a church where we can figure that out in the context of the church so that we can take it beyond the church. This is the church that our city needs. And together, we are making a difference. Since we started this church, over 200 people have entered into a relationship with Jesus at the Gathering Church. And that's not just hands raised. That's people taking a step of faith, moving forward. 153 people have been baptized at the Gathering Church going public with their faith in water baptism. And we're going to add to that number in just a couple weeks here. From the very beginning, we've said that the Gathering Church would be a church that thrives on community. We believe that on Sundays we create an experience where the unchurched or dechurched feel comfortable and wanted. We make room for the skeptical, suspicious seekers. We will welcome them in and invite them to hear biblical truth and experience worship in an authentic environment where they know they are seen, cared for, and loved by the people around them. We will have small groups where people can find the building blocks they need to form lifelong relationships, the kind of friendships where you never have to feel alone again. We'll build a church where it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. We'll build a church where nobody is perfect, but we are all working on getting better. We'll build a church for people like me, and we'll build a church for people like you. And we're still building it. Here's what I believe. This is just the beginning. We are just getting started. The local church is the hope of the world, and the gathering church is the hope of Asheville. I'm telling you all of this because this is my why. This is our why. If we lose our why, we lose our way. Because I know why I am here. I know why it is worth fighting for when the battles get hard, when the river doesn't part, and I march back into the wilderness. I know that God needs us to fight for this city. It has not always been easy. We've had some hard days Many of you don't know this story, but in March of 2020, we had grown so fast that we'd outgrown our first facility, Rainbow Community School, and we were outgrowing this one. So in February, we entered into negotiations for a lease to move into a more permanent facility. We got drawings done for an upfit, and we had the money in the bank to make it happen, the plan to get the rest of it, and we were going to have a 14,000 square foot home with 
350-seat auditorium, four classrooms and some offices about two miles from the spot we're in right now. We agreed on the terms of this lease. It was a long-term lease that we hoped would turn into more. And we had a meeting scheduled for March 16, 2020 to sign all the paperwork. How many of you remember what happened on March 13th of 2020? It was the worst Friday the 13th I have ever experienced. We made a decision on that Friday to cancel services for two weeks in order to slow the spread. Some of you hoped you'd never hear that phrase again. So we delayed that meeting by a week. Then another week later, the landlord pulled out. Then, for the next seven months, we met online as a church. Didn't see one another, didn't do life together. When we came back to T.C. Robertson a year later, we found ourselves having to rebuild a great deal. We went through quite quite a bit of personal crises at the time as well. I won't get into it all today because we don't have the time to get into it all today. But it was very hard. It was hard for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. It felt like marching up to the promised land only to be turned back to the wilderness. But just as the Israelites were not yet ready to enter that promised land, God knew that we were not ready yet either. That I was not ready yet. That we had some development to do in that season, some growing to do in that season. There were some chains wrapped around our hearts that needed to be broken, some prison doors that needed to be swung wide, some leadership that needed to be built. We needed to take some more time in the wilderness in order to prepare for what God was going to do next. God didn't abandon his people for one second that they wandered in the desert. He was there every day, every minute, providing for them, doing miracles for them, and still showing them who he was on a regular basis. And in the same way, these last four years, God has been with us every single day, providing for us, walking us through hard times, showing us miracle after miracle and reminding us of who he is. During that season, God was still good to us and still present. People were still getting saved, getting baptized. And as a church, we were able to show up for people on some of their absolute worst days. This past year, we went through another difficult season. If you're new, maybe one day you'll hear all the gory details, but not today. Here's what I will say. We, as a church, experienced heartbreak confusion, division, and different kinds of loss, as well as a great deal of spiritual attack. It's been really, really hard. But God is faithful. And he has made us better through it. It's made me better through it. It's made this church and what it is and what it stands for better through it. And here's what I believe. Not only did God make us better over this last year, But right now, he is restoring what was taken from us in 2020. We are back at the banks of the Jordan River. So consecrate yourselves, church, because God is going to move tomorrow. In Isaiah 43, 19, he says, See, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs up. 
Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands. I was at a conference this past week with some pastors who I've been doing ministry alongside for many years now. Close, close friends. And they all know about everything that we went through in this past year. And we're asking questions like, how you doing? How, how, how are you feeling? How, how's your heart? How, how are you? How's the church? How's it going? And from the bottom of my heart, every time I'm asked that question, my answer is, is that I am better than I have ever been in a season of ministry. And our church is better than it has ever been in this season of ministry. And I feel that we're on the other side of the Jordan right now. We're walking through it on dry ground that God is protecting and providing and caring and that we're coming into the promise that he's got for us. And we're not under any illusion that it's going to be easy because we know there's a battle waiting for us on the other side of the river. But we believe that God is carrying us through it. So the people crossed the river, and God tells Joshua to mark it with an altar, a monument, and a place of worship so that people will see it and know what God did for them in that place. It says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what had been done to the Red Sea. And when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Your children are going to ask you about these seasons and these times and where you were and what you were doing as God was building his church. We're going to look back and say, this is the spot, this is the place, this is the season, this is the time where God provided another miracle for us to prepare us for where we were going next. So they marked what God had done, created a landmark of God's faithfulness. And then they're in the promised land, and they've arrived, ready to settle down and relax, right? No. After all this time, decades of God preparing them and moving them forward and bringing them out of slavery and across the Red Sea and across the Jordan and into the promised land, God had only been preparing them for what he would do next. These people had just for the second time crossed over a mighty body of water on dry land. And they were able to look back at all the miracles behind them. There were so many miracles for them to see. So much of God's story for them to tell. So much for them to celebrate and and, and many reasons to worship. But the best parts of the story were still ahead of them. So much had not yet been done. We get to this point, we're only two books of the Bible deep, you guys. The story of God would continue on and would get bigger and bigger and the miracles would only increase and the things that God had done before would be overshadowed by the incredible things that God would do ahead. And Here's what I need to tell you. God laid this story in my heart as I pray over this church and as I think about what's going to happen because what I know is that the miracles that are behind us are big and they are many and they are incredible and they are worth celebrating and worth worshiping but the the miracles that are ahead of us are so much bigger. 
and so much better than anything we've even seen yet. We are eight years in, and it's like we've only just begun. It's like we're just getting started. You might as well be here on launch Sunday today, because what I believe is that the things that we're going to be remembered for, we haven't even seen done yet. They haven't even happened yet. The best is yet to come at the gathering church. This year, God is going to do more and God is going to move big. Just this year at the gathering. We're going to increase our impact here and across the world through new partnerships like Convoy of Hope. We went through a season where we just got really deep into the stewardship of our finances to make sure that every kingdom dollar builds the kingdom ministry. And through that, we've been able to build new partnerships like Convoy. I love Convoy because before FEMA can get to the disasters, Convoy gets to the disasters. They're there to show up. Whenever we see a need, we can know that we're being a part of what God is doing to provide for those needs on our television. This year, we're going to go back to Costa Rica with Inca Link, one of our partners. And you have the opportunity to become the hands and feet of Jesus and step into another context and see what the gospel does and share it and move with it. And you can find out more about that. We've got another Costa Rica mission trip interest meeting coming up this, this week. And you can uh, well, get on our social media and you'll see more because I don't remember all the details. This year, we are bringing back Serve Asheville, somebody. We're going to cancel services on a Sunday later this year and go all out into our city together to serve and make an impact anywhere that we can. We're going to be the church to our city and show our love for them by serving them. This year in the fall, we're going to launch a student ministry at the Gathering Church so that our middle schoolers and high schoolers can have an environment that they love, that engages them and encourages them to know God and find freedom and discover their purpose and to make a difference because I believe that the next generation is desperately in need of a church that is willing to see them and invest in them and care for them. And I want your children to have a place to call their own. And at the Gathering Church... This year, we're going to launch a building campaign to raise the money that we need to move from being a portable church to a permanent presence in our city for generations to come. I want to encourage you to begin to pray and ask God right now for what your part is going to be. I believe that every dollar that we need to make it happen, God has already accounted for. And so begin to ask him how he would use you to make a lasting impact here in our city. All of this and more. You'll be hearing about more in the coming weeks and months. God is just getting started with what he's going to do in this church. All the things that we knew were true about this city eight years ago when we started, those needs exist in an even greater scale now. This city needs this church more than ever before. And so we will not give up. We will not slow down. We will not go back. We will not be still. We will not settle for things as they are. We will push and move and fight and give and go and serve and worship all the more because our city is our responsibility. And we will take that responsibility with every breath that we have been given. So much is going to happen in this next year at the gathering. People are going to walk from death to life. We're going to see people baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Chains are going to break. Prison doors are going to swing open. God is on the move. 
at the gathering church. God is restoring vision at the gathering church. God is not finished yet with the gathering church. The best is yet to come. And these battles that lie ahead of us, oh, these are battles worth fighting. And these are battles that already belong to the Lord. And when we put his presence ahead of us, then we cannot lose the battles that lie before us. And so that's what we're going to continue to do. And we need you to do it with us. If you've been coming to the gathering or today is your first day, let me encourage you to go all in. We, we see the problems that the church can solve here in our city. And I know that the church isn't me and it's not just the people you see. The church is all of us using the purpose God has given us to make a difference here together. It's us using our gifts alongside one another, serving alongside one another in community together to make a difference. We need you to do it. And so join us, partner with us. If you haven't joined the dream team yet, then what are you waiting for? Get on the dream team. Be a part of what God is doing in this church. Find your position and your place in it and get in there and serve. And if you haven't started building community yet, then get in a small group and begin to build community. The semester started this past week and it was already awesome, you guys. Groups are already incredible and it's not too late for you to join one. Join a small group and begin to build community at the gap. Church, partner with us in giving. Be a part of sowing into the vision that God is building and growing here at this church. And just be a part of what God is doing here. Go all in. If you want to do that, next week, right after second service, is step one. And that's your first step to all of this. The pathway to being a part of all that God has in store starts right there at step one. So you come and join us at 1145 here at the Media Center after service next week. If you're in here today and you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus, let me just tell you that he has been waiting for this moment your entire life, that he's been pursuing you, that he wants a relationship with you, that he loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his only son so that you could be reunited with him. And so all you have to do today is just accept that gift that he's offered you. And then great and beautiful and amazing things lie ahead for you. If you're ready to make that decision, every head bowed, every eye closed, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for all my mistakes. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe in you. And I give all that I am from this day on to you. In Jesus' name.